We're talking right now about what it means uh, to, be a, to have an end game that gives you a life with purpose. And so many times we are looking in life for a way to find purpose and we don't understand that we're barking up the wrong tree and we're knocking on the wrong door and we're looking in all of the wrong places and as a result what happens is that we have this endless search for glory that's going on in our lives and we've been talking about this over the last several weeks that glory is essentially the thing that we all want it's what we want in our relationships it's what we want in uh, our work it's what we want in in all parts of life we want to be recognized we want to be approved of we want to be seen as glorious we wouldn't call it that most of the time but the reality is is that that's what we want and so all of our desires are pointing to a greater reality all of your deepest desires the things that you want the most are pointing to a greater reality C.S. Lewis says this, the, the reality that I'm hungry says that there's a possibility of having that need fulfilled. If I'm hungry I, and, and, I, and I want something to eat, what it's saying is this, is that there is a reality that can fulfill that. There's something that can fulfill that need in my stomach and give me the nourishment that I need. And the same thing goes for all of life with every single one of us, that we have desires that go unfulfilled and we think that we're fulfilling those things, but really what we're going after is just a glory imposter. It's something that we think is going to fulfill us, and it's why we sin, and it's why we go after things that we shouldn't, and it's why we strive so hard to be successful, and it's why we want a larger house and a nicer car, and why we want more time on our hands to be able to, to have leisure, because my glory is found in my time and in my things and in, and in who I am and what I can do. But the scriptures say something else. The scriptures say something else completely. And that is that your deepest desires, the things that you long for, the things that you want, are really just an indicator that there is a really completely and, and total fulfilling available for your desires and the things that you want. But it's not going to come by you getting it. It's not going to come by you going after it and making it happen. It comes in the form of a person. It comes in the form of a person. And we talked last week about how Jesus is the door. And in fact, I used a quote from C.S. Lewis, which I'll say again. And C.S. Lewis says this, For glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, welcome into the heart of things, the door on which... We have been knocking all of our lives will open at last. And what this is saying is this, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that when you find this reality in God, you find that this door is going to open up. And so what we talked about was this, is that Jesus is that door that opens up. Jesus is that door that opens us up to the possibility of true and fulfilling glory. I gave you several scriptures, which I won't go over today, but these scriptures communicate this, that when you put faith in Jesus Christ and you truly trust him, what you receive is you receive a glory from him. Not his essential glory, as I've said, but, we but he glorifies us. 
in and through the Son of God. He glorifies us in and through that. And as a result, we have this internal glory that as a result, like fulfills our needs. But too often, so many Christians don't understand this glory and what it means and what it means to experience it. And what, what's happening is this, is that you and I think that Christianity is all about being moral. Even those of us who have been around here for a while and you've heard the gospel, you, you understand that. We think that somehow this idea of being moral is what it means to be a Christian. Like if I could just be more moral, then as a result, what would take place is that God would love me. Or, or some of us have a different type of viewpoint, which is essentially like, if I'm not good enough, then God is going to get me. He's going to get me. So I've got I've to be good in order for God to love me, or I've got to be good and do the right things in order for God not to get me. And as a result, we miss the point completely. We miss the point completely that really this entire Christian life is about glorifying God. And that it is in and through that that we receive the glory that we've been craving for all of our lives. And so what takes place in the scriptures, and what the scriptures have to say is this, is that our lives must be characterized by glorifying God. Our lives must be characterized by glorifying God. And it's in and through that that we receive from him. In fact, I want to show you a couple of, of scriptures. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And what that's talking about is this, is that God has created uh, all people for his own glory, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God, God has created you for his own glory. So let's say that you're on the edge. You're not sure whether you believe this stuff or not. Let me just, let me just say this. That the scriptures tell us this, that there is a creator God. He is real. And what he has created you for, the reason that you're continually searching and continually searching for something to fulfill and something to make life make sense is, because, is this. It's because God has created you for his own glory. And as a result, Psalm 90, 14 says this. It opens up the possibility of true satisfaction Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Like, who doesn't want to be satisfied, especially when we get up in the morning, right? You get up in the morning, I want to be satisfied with life. I want to be driven by something other than fear and self-determinism. I want to be driven by something that is full of the satisfaction of God that I was created for and that I was meant for. And as a result, I want to be, uh, I want to know his steadfast love and I want to rejoice and be glad all of my days. Like the everlasting joy, the satisfaction that God promises you in and through what he provides is out of this world. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it at all. You cannot you cannot even imagine what it's like because God provides something that only your creator, your designer can give you. He's the only one that can fulfill that. And then lastly here, 
Psalm 16:11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Like, gosh, I mean, if, if you and I could just get this for a second, like, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is no amount of financial success that will ever surpass the glory of God that you were created to abide in and to be a part of. There is no sexual experience that you could ever imagine that will ever surpass the pleasures forevermore that are found in God. Anything that you can desire, anything cannot be fulfilled unless it is in and through God himself, in and through him. And as a result, what the scriptures tell us is this, is that something has to happen in our lives. Something has to take place. And so we read uh, scriptures like uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, I mean, this is pretty specific. It doesn't matter what you're eating, what you're drinking, it doesn't matter what you're doing, do everything to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Remember last week what we're t- we were talking about is this, is that when you find God, the glory of God, and you understand that you receive glory from that, and you, you realize that this fulfills me in every way possible, as a result, I want my friends, neighbors, coworkers, the people around me to experience that as well. But what we're talking about right now is this, is that when I live to the glory of God, when I live to the glory of God and my life and my passions and the things that are, are in me are all about one thing, and that is God's glory, what's going to take place is this, is that I am not going to be offensive, offend the people that are around me and the relationships with me. And as a result, what's going to take place is that they have the possibility of being saved, of knowing this same glory, of knowing who God is in their life. And they get to experience pleasures forevermore, satisfaction from their creator. But I think one of the most difficult pieces of this is to really understand what does it mean to glorify God? In everyday life. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Let me just stop right there. That is a junk drawer term for anything that is wrong, any type of sex uh, that is outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. 
So what he's saying is this. The Apostle Paul is telling this church in Corinth, he's saying, flee, run away from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And I mean, just think about that for a second. We're talking about whatever we do. That in includes our sex life. It's every piece of life that we're told that we're to be glorifying God in all aspects of life. And so what this means is this, is that, is that it's, it's saying something to us and it's connecting something. And especially this verse right here, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Like there's something that's coming, and it's coming from Jesus. And it's saying to glorify God with your body, because what's happening is this, is that God, through Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross, he does something amazing in and through us and for us. But that idea is so disconnected from us so many times. That idea of just saying, okay, somehow I need to associate Jesus going to the cross and that somehow causing me to become somebody who I'm not and I need to be able to, to do this in my life. I can't tell you how many times throughout my life I've, I've heard the idea of glorifying God. And in, in many cases, if you're like me at all, that in some ways remains really disconnected from who I am. Okay, glorify God, what, is, what does that mean? What, how do I even connect that to everyday life? What's that, what's that mean for me on an everyday scale? Let me just say this. When someone says, and this happens all the time, when someone says, you know what, that person says that they're a Christian, but I've seen the way that they live. I've seen that they, the way that they live. What they don't know is this, is that what they're actually saying is this, they're saying, that person doesn't glorify God with the things that they do. That person doesn't glorify God. They're not honoring the one that they claim to follow. They're not honoring him with who they say that they are. They're not honoring him in the way that they conduct their business. They're not honoring him with their body or with their eyes or with their finances. They're not honoring God. Our culture already sees us already knows this and sees the hypocrisy in who Christians are in so many cases. And it's because of this, because we are people who don't understand how the glory of God connects to everyday life, how the glory of God connects to all of the things uh, that we are and all of the things that we do and how we are supposed to do all things to the glory of God. So how does this connect with our life? I was reading in John Piper's book, uh, just uh, recently, Don't Waste Your Life. And by the way, you should read that book. It's an amazing book. I, I would say it is a must read. You must read this book because it explains many of these things. But he says this. He says, God created us to live for his glory. And God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We magnify 
God's worth the most when he becomes our only boast. And his glory can only be seen and savored by sinners through the glory of Jesus Christ. Any other approach to God is illusion or incineration. If we would make much of God, we must make much of Christ. His bloody death is the blazing center of the glory of God. If God is to be our boast, what he did and what he is in Christ must be our boast. That's what John Piper says, and he's referring to this passage, Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What Paul is saying there is is this. He's saying, like, the one thing that I need to be about The one thing that brings God glory, the one thing that that is going to help me get there is to boast only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, only in his cross. Now, I mean, to think about that, what John Piper says in his book is like, what you're saying there is you're saying, I'm going to glory in the electric chair, or I'm going to glory in some type of death instrument, and think about the absurdity of this, the absurdity of like glorying in and saying, yay for the cross. Like many people look at Christianity and they say this, like shouldn't you be sad about the fact that your leader was killed in one of the most painful instruments of death that ever was? But Paul says, no, I'm glorying in this. And in fact, uh, Pastor Ryan and I, who was leading worship this morning, we're just talking this week and we we're, were talking about Good Friday and, and how so many times... On Good Friday, we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, but oftentimes it's not a celebration so much as it is a mourning of loss. And we were talking through like all of the different ways that you could celebrate uh, the cross and, and, and celebrate how Jesus went to the cross for us and, and how sometimes we try to leave that evening with kind of this morose feel, this, this feeling of, oh, I mean, isn't it so sad? But what Paul is saying here is he, he's saying... I boast in the cross. I'm boasting in that. Like that's driving him to something greater. It's driving him to something bigger than he is. And so what we're, what we're doing on Good Friday is this. We're going to boast in the cross. This is setting us up for boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. On Good Friday, we're going to celebrate. The roof is going to come off this place. We're going to celebrate what God did on the cross because God's glory is seen and savored most clearly through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is in and through the cross of Jesus Christ that the glory of God is seen and savored. Now, hang on a second. Seeing and savoring the cross What does that have to do with the glory of God? If you want to glorify God, you've got to look to the cross. Look to the cross and see what the cross means. What does the cross mean and how does it relate to me? What does that mean about my life? 
But let me tell you this. My life and God's glory intersect on the cross. Your life and God's glory have the possibility of intersecting at the cross. Remember what I said last week, that Jesus says that he is the door to the sheep. He's the way to God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the, one, he's the way that you get there. God's ultimate end game, God's ultimate purpose, God's plan, the way that you can have a life with purpose, the way that you can fully participate and the way that your creator has designed you, the way that you can find real and lasting and eternal fulfillment is through the cross. And this is why Paul says this, I'm boasting, far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And what he's saying is he's saying this, I could boast in a lot of things. I could boast in my high position. I could boast in my morality. I could boast in how good I am at various things. My son is kicking my tail at uh, Mario Kart. He's constantly, he's, we're, we're playing Mario Kart, and I'm like, what is going on here? I cannot, I cannot beat my oldest son at a video game. And I, and I suppose this is a good thing because I don't play video games very often. But he's like constantly beating me, constantly beating me. And, and I got to tell you, like there's a little bit of me that's kind of like, man, like what's, what's, what's going on with this? I mean, I, I feel like less of a father right now. Oh, he's kicking my tail. So I'm sitting there playing video games and I find myself going, I'm going to beat him this time. I'm going to beat him this time. I'm going to beat him this time. This is going to happen. Oh yeah, nope eighth place. And every time my son, my son Marshall, he's like, uh, you know what, I'm just getting really good at this, you know, and we're kind of working on uh, humility lately and uh, pride and arrogance. I, you know, dad, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just very good at this game and, I, and I'm just doing very well. And, and so we say, you know, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Stop making fun of your father. Uh, in other words, use Bible verses to get my pride back. And, and so, but what Paul is saying here is like, I'm not boasting in video games. Of course he's not. But like he's saying, I'm not going to boast in how good I am at, the, at these things. See, it happens at a very early, very early age. And many Christians believe this, that somehow my morality makes me acceptable to God. Somehow what I'm doing and what I'm being, the fact that I go to church just that simple fact. Somehow, that gives us a little bit of an edge, doesn't it, sometimes? We see this in our world all the time. We see people who are just completely put off by Christians who are saying, or by, uh, yeah, by, by Christians who are saying, you know, like, well, you know, I, I, I go to church. Um, I've got my life together. I've got things worked out. Paul's saying, I don't boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this everywhere, how our world is based on boasting in everything else. And Paul says, everything is subservient to this reality, and that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the aim. That is the thing. So how do those things connect? Remember what I said, my life and God's glory intersect on the cross. John Piper says this, if we desire that there be no boasting except in the cross, then we must live near the cross. Indeed, we must live on the cross. 
my life and your life come together with the, with the glory of God in the cross of Christ. And so what has to happen is this, is that we've got to understand what does that mean that my life and your life come together right there and what this essentially means is this. Let me read you a couple scriptures here. Jesus says, Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying this, that the way to come to me the, the person who says, I follow Jesus, but is not associated with and participating in the cross of Christ, bearing their cross, coming after Jesus, cannot be his disciple. Like, there's this idea of carrying a cross that means this. It means that I understand what it means to glorify God when I'm carrying my cross for Jesus Christ and for his glory. I'm participating in this somehow. Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look at what, what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans. He's saying this. He's saying, like, my life and your life come together with the glory of God at the cross. Like, I've got to be united with him in that cross I'm, I'm participating with him there. Indeed, I'm on the cross, as John Piper says. And then Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul in Galatians now is saying, he's saying, When Jesus went to the cross, what happened was this, is that he was dying in my place. He, I, and as a result, what's happening is this, is that when he went to the cross, it's as if I went to the cross with him. And so what needs to take place is this, is that we participate with Jesus on his cross. Not because it saves us, but because it makes much of God. It makes much of Him. When we honor the most glorious thing that ever was or is, the one event that God wants us to look at and say, this is the most glorious thing. Live your life out of that reality. Conduct your sexuality out of that reality. Manage your finances out of that reality. Live with your spouse out of that reality. Live on that cross. And so Paul says in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Paul is saying there, he's saying this, that although the cross of Christ is sufficient to save me from my sins, the only thing that's lacking is my participation to prove that I've received his forgiveness. The only thing that lacks in that, and he says, I'm filling up in my flesh 
what is lacking. And that's kind of a hard thing to say because it sounds like there's something lacking in, in the cross. There's something lacking there. And so what needs to happen is this, is that somehow I have to understand that the only thing that's lacking is that it's me participating and me essentially saying, I am crucified with Christ. When Christ was crucified, I was crucified. He did it for me, but I am going along with him, and I'm saying I am participating with him. When we're baptized, what baptism shows is this, is that I'm dying with Christ as I go under the water, and I'm resurrected with Christ. It shows the participation with Christ. The Christian's life is lived on the cross of Christ. That is our greatest boast. That is where my life intersects with the glory of God. It's on the cross of Christ. So how do you put yourself on the cross? How do you allow yourself to be put on the cross? In our life, every day, we make choices. And the choices that we're making are motivated by something. If you don't have an internal motivation that is everlasting to glorify God, it won't last. It won't remain eternal. It's not going to do you any good. Yes, I am a pastor and I'm telling you, being good for your own reasons, while it may help society, it does not save you and it will not last. But having an internal motivation that is the desire to see God glorified through the cross of Jesus Christ is what causes us to be people who are internally motivated to glorify him. Now, we're internally motivated to live sexually pure. We're internally motivated then to have relationships that are honoring God, to live in unity with the brothers and sisters of Christ and with our friends, neighbors, and coworkers. We are people who are all about God's glory and not my own. I'm not boasting in me. I'm boasting in the cross, and it is in and through the cross that I get all things. The world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. I'm dead to the world. The world is dead to me. I don't want what they want. I don't need what they want. I have everything I need in and of myself through Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit living in me. I have everything I need through the cross. And what that means is this, is that when you go to your relationships with, with your friends, neighbors, coworkers, is this, is that I don't need you to fulfill me. I don't need you to tell me that I'm good. It's nice when I receive encouragement. But now... I don't have to go to you and need you for something. I'm no longer using you for what you can give to me. I'm no longer going to my spouse saying, I need you to be this and I need you to be that because through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I no longer need that. There's a disconnect now between what I have to have in my marriage 
And now I receive everything through the cross. I'm not saying that having a good marriage is a bad thing or that you shouldn't desire that. I'm saying this, that if your life is contingent, if, if the way that your life is going is contingent on whether your marriage is going well or whether your finances are good or whether things are happening the way that you want them to, you're always, always, always going to be disappointed. You're always going to be disappointed. When the glory of God through the cross of Christ becomes our biggest boast, we get to experience pleasures forevermore. And as a result, I don't have to need people. I get to love people. I don't have to need you to make a sale. I was talking with one of our members after last week's sermon. We're talking about how the glory of God relates to his job in sales. If you're somebody who's in sales, one of the things that you probably know is this, is that people do not like to feel like they're being used for a sale. If you don't know that, I don't know if sales is the right place for you, but... Uh, but people don't like to feel like you're using me for a sale. I remember a guy came by the church one time. He drove up uh, to my office, which is around back, and came up super friendly. I mean, like, super nice guy. Just, like, enjoyed talking with him. We were talking about ministry and whatnot. And then finally came the sales pitch. And I, you know, I don't think he meant anything bad by it. But what I felt instantly was this. This guy just came in here to get to know me so that he could use me for a sale. Listen, when the glory of God takes over through the cross of Jesus Christ, I get to crucify my desire for a sale. I'm, indeed, I'm living on the cross of Christ. I'm boasting in the cross. That's, that is what my ethic is. That's what my life is lived by. I crucify myself and I say, whether I get this sale or not is not most important. What's most important is the glory of God in all things, including just this one relationship with this person. And so that means that when I go to them, I'm not trying just to get at sale. I'm trying to love them, to show them the glory of God. I've crucified my desires on the cross with Jesus. And as a result, instead of needing them, I love them. As a result of needing them, I love them. My life and the glory of God intersect at the cross. Your life and the glory of God intersect at the cross. That's how you glorify God. It comes in this. It comes in the, the purity of your life. I'm crucifying every desire I'm crucifying every want on the cross that's outside of God's blessed gift to me through my marriage. It comes in the way that, that you are uh, in your relationships with your friends. How many times do we take offense because somebody has done something that we just don't like? And, and, we, and we just, we get upset about these things. I don't like the way that they said that. I don't like this. 
But what, what's, go, what's really going on is this, is that we're complaining and we're saying, I don't feel like that person glorified me the way that I want them to glorify me. And what, you, what you're saying in that instance is you're saying this, I need the worship and the adoration from that person so much that now I'm going to be angry with them if they do not give to me what I feel like I rightly deserve. And remember what I said, our desires are an indication of a greater reality. All that's pointing to is this, is that like, hey man, they offended me. But what's true is this, is that I have everything I need in God. I have everything I need in his right hand or pleasures forevermore. He satisfies me completely. He created me for his glory and not for my own, although I get glory somehow through this. And so as a result, I don't have to take offense to what my friend said. And next time we meet, I get to just let that go. I get to walk away from the offense. I get to walk away from small little battles at work. I get to walk away from people who are offending my religion and, and just say, I love them. I don't need them to honor me or to worship me. God is most glorious. I am not. I get all I need through the cross of Christ. That's how he's given it to me. I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ. What this means is that all good things and even all bad things are now made right and are now for you. It means that I glorify God in everyday life while I'm going through life and I'm saying, yes, I achieved this, but now I get to boast in the cross of Christ because he's reconciled me to God. And what this means is that God's blessing, God's glory is raining down on me in and through his creation, the way that he's caused me to think this way that allowed me to make that money. I get to glory in the cross. I get to boast in him and not in myself. This is glorifying God and saying the cross of Jesus Christ is everything to me. He's the one that causes me to live a life that's, yes, even moral. He's the one that causes me. He is my internal motivation. I'm not motivated by God's going to get me if I don't. I'm motivated by, by God is glorious. And he showed this un, unfettered graciousness through the cross to me. What would it be like if this happened in our church? Let's just, let's just, say, let's just say for a moment that every single one of us in this room got the glory of God. And so what we said was this, is that I'm no longer going to be motivated by my needs or my desires or my desire for glory, but now I'm going to be motivated by the glory of God. What would God not do in our city? What would God not do? I mean, there's 300 kids at Richmond Elementary who somehow don't have food over the weekend. What wouldn't God do with a group of people who say, my life is crucified on the cross with Jesus because he went there for me. I've already received all the glory that I need, want, or desire. And what happens is this. Now I have time, money, effort, 
giftings to put into that problem. There are kids that need mentoring. They're sitting there all day long. They come home. They're abused. They're put down. Mom and dad say, you're so stupid. How could you think that? How could you do that? Can you imagine a child? Some of you grew up in that. You know what it's like. How could we say we don't have time to be on mission for God glorifying him? How could we say that? I've been crucified on, on that cross with Jesus. When he went there, I went there. I get to boast in that, not in what I can do. What wouldn't he do in your workplace as you specifically and seriously lay down your rights and say, you know what? You take it. You take that sale. You take the better office. You take the advantage. Because you know what? I've been crucified with cross. I on the cross with Jesus. I don't need the glory that comes from that. What wouldn't he do in our city? Guys, the glory of God is where it's at. And it causes us to be all about God's end game. And as a result, what it gives you is it gives you life with purpose that you were created for. Anything else pales in comparison. It's a fake, it's an imposter glory. It will not fulfill you. Only Jesus Christ on his cross, crucified, shows you the glory of God. Participate with him on his cross. Participate with him. Revel in the glory of God and what he offers you. Let's pray. Lord God, we are people who are consistently and regularly seeking our own glory. Lord, myself included. Lord, these are deep and personal issues for many of us. Many of us are held back by secret sin and by uh, the things that are going on in our life and by our desires that are causing us to want things or to over-desire things for our own glory. Instead of glorifying you for giving us great things, we take credit for them. And Lord, you have purposed that your church would be all about your glory. And so Lord, as your church, we want to we want to stand together and say that we want to be all about you. Lord, may we resonate with the reality that your cross is the only thing that matters. That boasting in you is all that there is. Lord, may you be our only boast in life. May you be the only one. May you be the ethic that we live by. May you be the one who's going to direct the affairs of our lives. Lord, may you be the one who we're living for. And Lord, for those that know that they haven't lived for your glory. Lord, for those of us that know, every single one of us who has an ounce of humility would know that we have fallen short of your glory. God, may we trust you. That your loving kindness wakes us up in the morning. 
So God, we, we deeply ask that we'd be satisfied people, deeply satisfied in you. Lord, may we be people who are satisfied because you've given us everything. You've given us everything. We don't need anything more than you. God, we ask you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.